Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight Lightweight True Crime. We're social distancing people. Our timing is off. Emily, it, what, does what, is what you're drinking full of absinthe? (laughs) There is some in there, yeah. Because it is a green, it is a sea green. Well, I was trying to show you that it it layered. It It is layered. It's ombre. Okay, so we did this last week. We're doing it this week too because we're social distancing. So we're not in the same place. So we're making our own drinks. So Ryan gives us a title of a drink, and then we make what we think that drink would be. So this week it was The Born Identity, because we just, Ryan and I just watched it. Yeah, I was like, um, is that something you guys just watched or what? Yeah, we were literally watching it as he was texting us, like, this is what I want the drink to be called. And I was Perfect. like, cool. So my drink is some 7-Up, because I had to cut it a little bit. Mm-hmm. cognac because it's french and a lot of the movie <laughs> takes place in paris and absinthe because he gets amnesia and oh my god absinthe is nuts i thought absinthe. long and hard about this you really did kudos i should have explained like, mine first because mine is not as a good no, explanation yeah. that's okay i feel like i had an unfair advantage because i just watched it fair but like well done well done does it taste good thank you well, right now I can really only taste like the absinthe and it okay. kind of mixed in with the cognac, but the 7-Up is just sitting at the bottom. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's good. It's better yeah. than the, than la- the last drink I had that was just basically an old fashioned that just <laughs> burned. Um, well, I, mine was very simple. It's rum and cherry Coke. Nice. Like, I just thought, no nonsense, masculine. The cherry is a little less so, but that's what I had yeah. also. I love cherry Coke. Yeah. Um, I, um, like, any grocery, sh- grocery, sh- <laughs> any grocery shopping I do these days, I'm always picking up a bunch of cherry Coke or Diet Coke, and I am always like, so what if this kills me? We're in a quarantine. Right. I need this. Yeah. Um, so I feel like you when I'm stocking up on all the Diet Coke. I know. Diet Coke is fine. It's not going to kill you. I had this. S- said the woman with the Costco sized amount Diet Coke in her fridge. Yeah. Okay. I had have this. You, what? Have you been to Costco since this all started? So we went to go to Costco. Okay. Um, one day Micah would not fall asleep in his bed. So we stuck him in the car and drove around and we were like, okay, we have to go to Costco. So why don't I drop Ryan off at Costco and we'll keep driving around me and Micah. And we were, like, kind of on a time limit. So we had, like, an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And we get there, and the line is wrapped all the way around the store. Oh and gosh. we get there, and we just go, I'm not, we're not even going to look for a parking spot. No way. No. No we don't way. Have time. So we drove there but didn't actually go. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. I understand stocking up. So I understand shopping in such a way that, like, 
you don't have to go to the grocery store very often. Like that makes sense to me. Yeah. We're social distancing. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense to me is this like apocalyptic hoarding that is like, Oh, grocery stores are going to close because grocery stores are not going yeah. to close. Like no. that's just not going to happen. So everyone like, like stop hoarding things that other people need yeah. to buy. And like, like today, like I came across some paper towel rolls and like I took one, even though there were three there right. because somebody else is going to need some. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, I have a lot of thoughts about all the hoarding that's yeah. going on right now and why I have to pay so much money for Amazon to send me toilet paper six weeks from now. Right. Um, but like, but it's also, I understand like needing to feel like you're in some kind of control over your life when this is also right. unknown. Yeah. Anyway. And I th- think at the beginning, we didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I remember no. feeling so anxious that I was like, Ryan, we have to go live with your parents because I don't want to be stuck up here and everything shut down. Yeah. And like, just we didn't know what was going to happen. And I feel like now that it's been a few weeks and we kind of know like, okay, craziness hasn't happened yet. It's yeah. probably not going to get much worse. Yeah, I hope not. And yeah. and like even in the places that where it is the worst, like Seattle and New York, like grocery stores are still open. Right. Um and like we all need to be paying attention and abiding by the rules and like doing our part, but like that also means like looking out for people who aren't you. So. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. Crazy. I know. And so Ryan's cousin is a nurse. Um, and she just got transferred to start working with patients with COVID-19 and her hospital told her that she has to have all of her own, um, equipment, her own protective equipment, which is nuts. Um, and so we were just like casually mentioning it to like our neighbors and, um, our neighbor who's the guy with the conspiracy theories and stuff. May or may Um, not have been abducted by aliens. Right. Um, we call him Chris, but that's not his real name. So I'm just going to call him Chris. So our neighbor, Chris, no, that's really not his name. I'll text you his real name later. I just winked at Emily. Cause I was like, you're such a liar, but okay. I guess that isn't his name. It's really not his name. Um, he looks like a Chris. So we call him Chris, not to his sure. face. Sure. Okay. Anyways, this is great podcast. material. <laughs> Anyways, we were telling Chris, Ryan's cousin works there and Chris's mom makes masks just like for fun because she sews I mean not for fun whatever for her to be helpful and stuff yeah yeah and she made one for Micah and I was like saying like oh Ryan's cousin blah 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 like would your mom make some masks like we'll pay her for it like if she's like selling them like obviously we'll buy them or whatever and he was like oh she was just like making them for us but like I'll see what I can do and then he like came over the next day and was like my mom made a few masks for your cousin and I was like oh how much like, does she want for them? And he was like, no, they're free. Like, and so it's just like so cool seeing people like yeah, step it up for the people who are on the front lines. And yeah. anyways, that is super heartwarming. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? Uh, nope. It left me. But like nurses are true American heroes right now. So are like grocery store clerks and like janitorial staffs and all these people who are just in harm's way. Um, so that the rest of us can like continue on. It's amazing. Right. And I always like feel so guilty ordering stuff from Amazon because I know me too. 
I don't want to be the reason somebody goes to work and gets exposed, but at the same time, I don't want to not order something and be the reason somebody loses their job and can't pay rent. It's yeah. just like this crazy conundrum. Yeah, I just wish Amazon took better care of its workers. Um, right. And it, you can tell, like, they've started this whole new, like, PR campaign where, like, there's these commercials about, like, I love working at yeah. Amazon. And it's yeah. like, bullshit. Like, we all saw that article and that yeah. special. We about all, how you're not cleaning. And you're not getting paid what you should and, like, are still required yeah. to go to work. But, yeah, no, that is that tough thing where it's like, yeah, I had to, I had to order toilet paper on Amazon because there weren't there wasn't any in town that i could buy um but like things we can do to counteract that and to support people is to like keep donating to food banks like donate to your local like homeless shelters and like places where people who are barely making ends meet to begin with are gonna go like when their shifts get canceled or like when they're struggling um I work for a human services organization and it has been so cool i don't think i told you this um we serve vulnerable families who have experienced trauma and obviously like most of the services that we offer, we can't offer right now because they're in person, but we've been like delivering boxes of called, we call them enrichment boxes, like diapers, um, crafts for the kids, like stuff for like the parents to help the kids, you know, stay occupied. And we've had like restaurants call us and be like, can we make dinners like for your families? Oh my God. And you can, like, drop them off. And, like, most of the families we serve are, like, high poverty. Right. So, like, even just, like, supplying, like, a meal for that whole family is a huge is, yeah. deal. I got chills when you said that. It has been so cool. I walked in. I mean, I'm not going to my office super frequently right now. But, like, I walked into my office the other day and someone had dropped off, like, $1,000 worth of goods Dang. for us to, like, take to these families. Yeah. And it's just been, like, stuff like that has been, like, such a beautiful reminder of, like, people's resilience and like their care for their neighbor and yeah it's been pretty cool that's incredible yeah i've been anyway should we talk about some depressing stuff oh yeah that feels like a perfect perfect segue to some depressing stuff by the way this is a podcast called lightweight true crime yeah two girls share drinking a story that's us we're the two girls we're the two girls and here's our drinks and And here's our drinks give you our stories we'll give you our stories i think you are first uh this evening okay My drink just gave me the chills, and it came out of my mouth. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so this is the story of the Slender Man stabbings. (gasps) Do you know this? Yes, it's so scary. Okay. I know. So it's there's an SVU episode based on this, and I meant to look up what episode it is, but I don't remember. I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's very scary. It's called The Glasgow Man. The Glasgow Man. I know, that's what it's called. And I don't remember what season or episode it is, but... It's, like, recent, I feel like. Yeah. It was was definitely after Elliot Stabler, who is getting on the show. Oh, my gosh. I I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Legit, I don't know. Like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. We need it now. We need it now. I also have so many questions because it's, like, they were so close and had such a strong bond. And then how do you, how do you explain Elliot not being at the trial after she was kidnapped by that crazy guy? Right. Like, I kept thinking that the whole time, the whole time. How do you explain the fact that like he, he's not mentioned and that like he didn't come to congratulate her being a captain? Like, oh my gosh, I am so like the level of happy that announcement made me is honestly a little ridiculous, but I am pumped. Anyways. Anyways, go so watch anyway, the Glasgow Man. Go watch episode. that episode. Okay. So 
June 1st, 2014, a man is riding his bike through a chained-off pathway through what's called David's Park. And shoot, I meant to look up how to pronounce this city in Wisconsin. It's Waukesha? Sure. Couldn't tell you. I'm just going to say Wisconsin. Sure. So, in Wisconsin, when he sees a girl crawling towards the pathway... The girl stops him by saying, help, they stabbed me. And he stops his bike, gets off, calls 911, and he stays with her, comforting her, telling her it's going to be okay, but clearly sees, like, this girl's been stabbed. Yeah. Um, So 12-year-old Peyton Lutner had been stabbed 19 times throughout her arms, her legs, her torso. That's a lot. That's a lot. One... Stab wound was one millimeter away from a major har- artery mm. in her heart. One stab wound went through her diaphragm, cut her liver, and cut her stomach. Wow. So she was stabbed really bad. Yeah. Um, so they take her to the hospital. When authorities ask Peyton if she knows who did it, she said, yes, it was my best friends Morgan Geyser and An- An- Anissa Weir. Mm-hmm. So the police go and they find these girls. They find them in a furniture store nearby where they still had the bloody five-inch kitchen knife in one of their bags. So how did these girls become friends? What happened? <laughs> how did, why did they stab their other how friend? This happen? So in fourth grade, Morgan and Peyton become friends. So Peyton is the one that was stabbed. Morgan is one of the stabbers. Okay. So... Peyton sees Morgan sitting by herself at lunch. Um, so Peyton goes and offers to sit next to her. They start talking. They become friends. And they're, like, best friends, inseparable. Um, Morgan even, like, comes up with this nickname for Peyton. She calls her Bella, which is super sweet until you learn that Morgan stabs her and then it's kind <laughs> of creepy. Yes, um, that, that does ruin it. Yeah. So, um... I forgot to say, I got all of this from, um, there's a documentary on HBO okay. um, that I don't remember what it's called. I think it's just called Slenderman. Um, Oprah Magazine did an, an article on it and Wikipedia. Okay, there you go. Um, so then um, in sixth grade, um, a new girl, Anissa, or Anissa, I don't know how to say it, um, they start hanging out. She starts hanging out with Morgan and Peyton, and the three of them soon become inseparable. Um, but then Morgan and Anissa start becoming obsessed with this thing, this figure called Slenderman, um, which Peyton didn't think was real, but knew that Morgan really thought it was real and really believed in it. So she would kind of go along with like when they wanted to like read Slenderman stories and stuff. Um, so it's like an urban legend. Right. So right. what is Slenderman? Slenderman is this fictional character that was created on the online forum called Something Awful. Um, so in 2009, they had a Photoshop contest for producing a paranormal image. And Slenderman was one of the submissions to this. So this guy created this picture of um, this really tall, skinny, eerie-looking man that was really, um, he was really tall, really thin, wearing a black suit. Some might a, call him slender. Some might call him slender. <laughs> um, white, featureless face. Sometimes he's depicted with tentacles coming out of his back. Um, 
but and he's also i already said this but he's always wearing a black suit um so after this picture kind of went viral creepy pasta started coming out with like some fan fiction and story about this creature slender man um and that's when anissa and morgan kind of kind of came across these stories and were super fascinated and start be- started becoming obsessed and really thinking slender man was real so in a lot of these stories slender man lived in the woods in a giant mansion um where he would try to lure kids out there um he would when he would find kids he would convince them that they had to like kill their families or he would kill their families um and that they had to come live with them um some of the stories also say that if you come in contact with slender man he can cause coughing paranoia and amnesia which is like a super weird combination yeah it's a random list um yeah so um Morgan and Anissa started feeling like Slender Man was calling them. So they were like, okay, Slender Man is telling us we have to go out to the woods and live in his mansion and become one of his proxies. And so they, they, they start saying that they really believed that Slender Man would kill their families if they didn't go live with Slender Man. And they also felt like they had to kill somebody in order to go live with him. So they started coming up with these plans that they were going to kill their best friend, Peyton, which is nuts. Just like it's also like, are you having a shared hallucination? Like what? Right. Like one person is crazy. Two is like super alarming. Yeah. And they're 12. Yeah. Like I wasn't even into boys yet at 12. Yeah. I couldn't have like figured out how to take a city bus at 12, let alone like like hatched this kind of plot well i mean they struggled too obviously because they were 12 sure so they their first um their first plan was that they didn't have a where a when a how but they were gonna cover they were gonna like tape her mouth shut and then stab her and then the next plan was they were gonna like pull her into a bathroom at the park and stab her okay but those things didn't happen so now they're um, having a sleepover for Morgan's birthday on May 31st. Um, and so looking back, Peyton says that she should have known something was wrong because Morgan was acting really weird. She didn't want to stay up all night. She was just kind of like not really in the mood for having a party and a sleepover, which like is super unlike her. And it was her <laughs> birthday. But also like maybe it's okay that she didn't... Th- immediately jump to the conclusion that they were planning on stabbing her because they're right. her friends and she's 12. Right, exactly. So they have the sleepover and the next day they decide they're going to go play hide and seek in the woods back behind Morgan's house in an area that's called David's Park. Um, so they're out there, they're playing hide and seek um, and while they're playing Anissa and Morgan um, they hold Peyton down and they stab her 19 times. Oh my gosh. Both Anissa, Anissa and Morgan blame each other for initiating it. So it's not really clear who started it. But they were both on board. They both stabbed her. And when they were done, they told Peyton, stay here, we're going to go get help. Which is so crazy. Like, how can you go from stabbing your best friend to, I'm going to go get help for you? 
And you'd think even like a messed up 12 year old would like, even if they managed to stab someone once, that experience would be so scarring that they wouldn't be able to keep doing it more. Wow. So they don't go get help. They instead go deeper into the woods looking for Slender Man's mansion. Oh my gosh. And when they can't find it, they kind of just start wandering around and then they end up in that furniture store where they're eventually caught. So Anissa Anissa pleads guilty um, to being part of an attempt of second degree murder, but she ends up being found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. Um, But she is placed in a mental hair, mental, mental hair, mental, mental health care facility. Um, I couldn't find how long or like what kind of facility, like was it an outpatient facility or an inpatient? Um, but Morgan ended up accepting a plea deal um, to not go to trial. And instead, she would be evaluated by psychiatrists to determine how long she would need to be in a mental facility, mental health facility. Um, And so they they assess her and they determine, I don't know how long it was, but they determined for her to be in there for a certain amount of time. And by then she was ready to like go on trial. So she pleads guilty and she's also found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, which is not surprising because you have to be you have to be super paranoid if you're going to be 12. What are they saying stab your was the diagnosis for either one of them? I couldn't wow. find that. Probably because they're minors. Right. And um, I did find that it said that An- Anissa was like immediately felt remorseful, but Morgan never felt remorseful. Oh my gosh. She honestly thought she had to kill her best friend or her family was going to be murdered. So... Like, my theory is that, like, Morgan was having these, not, at, probably not hallucinations, maybe hallucinations, but these, like, delusions of grandeur that, like, her whole family was going to die if she didn't do this. And she really believed it. Yeah. And then somehow it kind of trickled out to Anissa because they hung out so much. And Anissa was probably like, oh, I've seen this Slender Man thing, like... You could believe it. You're 12. You're you're gullible. Um, so um, Morgan's found not guilty, but she is sentenced to 40 years under under a mental health facility's supervision. So that feels like a weird number. So she'll be what like 52 when that is over. Yeah, that's an odd something like that. But I, I maybe they can't do it forever, and that was yeah. just like the interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, but the, the, their friend made like a recovery, right? Right. So she only spent seven days in the hospital. Um, the city of Madison, um, held this one day Bratwurst festival to raise money for her medical Mm. expenses. They had 250 people volunteer for this event and they raised over $70,000, Wow, which is so crazy. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, especially because I'm sure she needed multiple surgeries for being stabbed that many times especially like cutting through her diaphragm her liver and her stomach like those are probably each separate things that need to happen my gosh so painful i know and then in 2019 five years after the attack peyton was asked what would you say to morgan if you saw her and she said i would thank her because the attack is what led me to become inspired to pursue a career in medicine 
Oh. I know. Wow. So she's, know. she's 17 now. She's 17 or, now. Oh, 18 maybe this year. Yeah. Wow. I know. That is wild. So crazy. Oh my gosh. I just get the heebie-jeebies. That story gives me so many bad feels. I hate, I hate children yeah. who can do those things. Yeah. Like. That's really messed up. It just doesn't make sense. I was such an innocent, sheltered child. Yeah. Like, that I can't even, like... Yeah. I can't even, like, when I was 12, like, I already said this, but I didn't even like boys. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like... It was like, oh, boys, they're weird. Right. So it's like I can't... um, Anyways. That's crazy. I'm going to drink some more because... A very well-told story. (sighs) That Anyways. is a bummer. Well, here on lighter news, just kidding. It's another mur- it's another murder story. Oh man! Well done, Emily. Well done. Okay, so I'm about to tell you the story of Pamela Melam, and my information. I have to thank a website called True Crime Pages, as well as NBC News. So, we're gonna throw it all the way back to 1972. Long before we were thought of. Um, So in 1972, 19-year-old Pamela Milam was a commuter student at Indiana State University. Um, But even though she commuted for the weekend of September 16th, she had plans to stay on campus uh, because she was attending events for the the sorority that she belonged to, Sigma Kappa. So Pam was with a few of her sorority sisters on Friday night, the 15th, but she said that she needed to go move her car closer to the dorm where she was staying. And she was like, okay, I'm going to go move my car. I'll be back in a few minutes. She never returned and she didn't show up for her 8 a.m. shift the next morning at the library. Like you can maybe reason away like, oh, she ran into some other friends and like wound up crashing on somebody else's couch. But they knew for sure that something was wrong when she didn't show up to work the next morning. Also, it's 1972. No cell phones. This sounds familiar. I hadn't it's... heard it. I hadn't heard it until. Oh, really? But it has recently been in the news. So maybe you like oh. had seen it then. Was it on so, an, Was it an episode of another podcast we like based out uh, of Indiana? Oh, if it is, I haven't heard that episode. Oh, okay. It, it could be, though, because Indiana. So Pam is officially reported missing by her sorority sisters, and Pam's dad and her sister come to campus and spend that whole Saturday searching the campus for her. And around 7 that night, um, two of Pam's sorority sisters spot her car, a 1964 Pontiac, and they could see her glasses sitting in the car as well as her purse in the back seat. So they're like, that's super weird. So they call her dad, who rushes to the car with his the spare set of keys that he had to it. And when he opens the trunk, he finds Pam's body inside. Oh, no. Bound with clothesline and a gag on her mouth, a gag in her mouth with wounds on her head and her face. Mm-mm. The coroner would later determine that she had been strangled to death. So despite the best efforts of investigators, there are no witnesses to Pamela's murder. Or if there were, they never came forward. And there's no description of whoever was responsible for it. 
However, police had a pretty like strong suspect, a man named Robert Wayne Austin, who had been arrested for a series of abductions and attempted abductions on college students at Indiana State in the weeks surrounding Pamela's murder. So Austin's MO was to sexually assault his victims and then return them to campus. Like he let that was the crime he was um eventually arrested before or arrested for. And eventually he would be convicted of rape and kidnapping and sentenced to life in prison. But when questioned by authorities, he denied killing Pamela and there was never any concrete evidence to connect him to the murder, even though they were like, what are the chances of there being another dude out there doing that? Was Pamela sexually assaulted? Did you already say that? Um, I didn't say that. I never saw it. Well, they don't ever say it outright, but like it's, it's assu- implied, it's implied and then like they, there was DNA, but like they didn't have the ability to test it. Right. Okay. Um, so with no new or additional information, Pamela's case goes cold for decades Mm-hmm. until 2001 when the Indiana State Police would reopen the case and analyze a stain that was found on her clothing because now they had the technology to, they were like, oh, we have the technology to test it and we'll officially connect Austin to her murder and like that way we can just like, you know, take this one off the books as a cold case. Yeah. But when the results come back in, the DNA was not it's a match. Not him. It's not him. They even used like advances in technology to look at a fingerprint that was found on Pam's glasses and on the door of her car, but those don't match Austin either. Oh my gosh. So it, it, because originally they were like, okay, maybe he was working with a partner and like, so the DNA sample isn't his, but like he was, you know, he touched the car door and whatever. Um, but the prints don't match Austin and they don't match any other prints found in the database. Oh my gosh. So, um, Instead, they take the DNA that was found on Pam's clothes and they enter it into CODIS um, and they don't get any hits in CODIS, but it stays there in the hopes that one day it would match someone with a record. So then 2001 turns into 2008 and Terre Haute, Indiana detective Sean Keene is appointed the chief of detectives and he assigns cold cases to other, you know, like to a bunch of officers, but he was like, it's not fair for like me to not take on a cold case if I'm asking yeah. officers to do this. So he chose uh, Pamela Milam's cold case. Cool, cool. And he was interviewed and he says, when I first opened the case, I couldn't stop reading it. Um, adding that his wife got kind of upset with him because he spread all the evidence around their house while he was oh trying to like, figure things out. And the clothesline that was used to tie Pam up had a partial profile of like touch DNA on it. And okay. they were able and this to. This was compa- 2008? 2008, yeah. Wow. Um, and they, so they compared that touch DNA on the clothesline to the DNA that was found on Pamela's clothes. And again, they're like, okay, this is the same suspect. It's one person. Um, and they're working alone, but again, like they don't have a name of who it is. Yeah. So this is, what did I say? 2008. So despite the fact that they've had like these breakthroughs, like these pretty significant breakthroughs, like so long after the case, the case would remain cold until 2018. Dang. When the DNA samples that they had were compared to those submitted to a genealogy website and services. 
right? All about that. Genealogy. Genealogy. So they were hoping for a hit from samples from customers or people who just submitted um, to public databases. Um, Keen had attempted to do that in 2009, but his request was denied due to Indiana state laws at the Mm. time. So, but in 2018, genetic genealogy becomes a legal investigation tool. A legal. It sounded like you said illegal. A A legal. Space legal. So when that becomes legal, he teams up with a corporation called Parabon Nanolabs um, to compare the DNA profile um, that they have from the crime scene to like what is available. And so 40 years after Pamela's dad found her in the trunk of her own car, Mm. authorities finally received a hit um, of like a relative, right? So Keen and a genealogist interview like several people and eventually narrow down the possible suspects to a single member of one family. Oh my gosh. A man named Jeffrey Hand. So Jeffrey Hand had been arrested in 1973 when he had picked up a couple who was hitchhiking and murdered the man. Um, The woman was able to escape, um, but but like by the time she got help and they found him, um, he had killed her husband. Mm -hmm. He had been stabbed and shot in the head. Oh my gosh. So that's 1973. But in 1976, Jeffrey Hand was freed from prison because he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. What? Which feels like, okay, if you're not guilty by reason of insanity, then like, shouldn't Even you go to an, more reason to like, shouldn't not you be go to an, to an institution? Right. Like you've murdered someone. You're dangerous. Right. So like you don't belong in jail, but you don't belong in public, in public. Right. Right. Like until you're, Ryan's the seventies. They didn't have a lot of great mental health. Yeah. So, 1976, he's released. Two years later, in 1978, Hand was killed by police <gasps> while attempting to abduct a woman um, at a mall uh, about 130 miles north of um, Indiana State University. Oh my gosh. So the kidnapping attempt was witnessed by an off-duty sheriff's deputy who intervened to stop it from happening. And Jeffrey Hand was shot by the deputy twice um, before being shot and killed by a city officer who was also on the scene. So luckiest woman ever. Right. Um, So crazy. So Detective Keene tracks down. So Jeffrey Hand is dead, right? Right. But Detective Keen tracks down his widow and his two sons and takes samples of their DNA. The sons, I imagine, not his widow, because that would not matter. Um, At first when you said widow, I was like, okay. I I legit didn't think about that until I was reading it. Like, maybe they had to track down the widow to find the sons because her DNA would not matter. Hopefully not match. Uh, Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, And so he takes samples from the sons and he submits it to Indiana State Crime Lab. And it was a match to the DNA (sighs) found on Pamela's clothes. Oh my gosh. So Jeffrey Hand would have been 23 years old at the time of Pamela's murder. 
And while they still don't know how those two like crossed paths yeah. on that night in 1972, Chief Keen believes that it was random. It was a crime of opportunity because Jeffrey's hand was not a student at Indiana State. No. Um, he was working as a delivery man. Um, but investigators agree that if Hand were alive today, there would be more than enough forensic evidence to bring him to trial and to convict him for the murder of Pamela Milam. It's been a long 46 years, seven months, and 20 days, Milam's sister, Charlene, said during a news conference. Many of us, as we got older, thought we would die before we ever learned who killed mm-hmm. our sister. Um, Chief Keen believes that this type of genetic genealogy uh, can be what helps solve other seemingly dead-ended cold cases. Yeah. I think that there are families that are waiting for an answer, Keen said, adding it's a, that it's a shame if departments don't try using the, nec- the new technology to solve old cases like Milam's. And that is the story of the murder of Pamela Milam. Oh, man. Isn't that wild? I'm like, if, if it's going to be cold, like, it's, it's understandable that it's cold because the guy is dead, you know? Like, right. it was going to... It was going to be impossible to solve unless they did, unless they did this with the genealogy because he wasn't going to be arrested later. They weren't going to find his DNA somewhere. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, okay, he's been dead for a really long time. He's been dead since six years after this. He murdered Pamela. Yeah. He didn't live very long after that. Right. It's like, like I would really hate to like, have not known for so long if I was part of her family but I feel like it would bring me some sort of peace to know like okay he died pretty soon after he murdered my family member that's what one of the sisters said she's like it's good to know that like he wasn't out just like living this great life for all these years right dang that's not the one that I thought it was okay yeah it's crazy. crazy and just the fact that like 40 years later there was still touch DNA like all those decades later um that they were able was the car still like there? Um, I guess I, I, I guess don't the car know. was the fingerprints. Never mind. The car the was the DNA was the the rope was the, the rope clothesline. Got it. Yeah, Dang. yeah. But I just thought that that was. I love I love a decades old cold case being solved, yeah. and I love genetic you genealogy. Do. So it was it was right up my alley. I know my parents. Um, I might have already shared this on the podcast, but I got my parents. Um, 23 and me for Christmas. Nice. And they like just did it because my dad mixed up their their spit and had to get <laughs> That's right. had to order new kits. Because <laughs> like as they were doing it, because you have to like spit into like a tube a lot of times. And yeah. as they were like doing it, my dad joked like, "What if we mix these up?" Because they didn't like label them yet. <laughs> and then he actually mixed them up. <sighs> That's um, so funny. But I keep telling them, like, okay, once you get your results back, I'm going to make you upload it. And to Jedmatch. my dad's my dad's probably not going to do it, but I might be able to convince my mom. I think we'll get my, Tootie to do it. Yeah, I think, but then my dad will be mad that I convinced my mom to do it. Well, you're a grown lady. You can do what you want. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. Tootie. Tootie. Um, all right, well, I have an icebreaker question. An icebreaker um, question? What's that? So, um, icebreaker is this part of the show. What? It's not what it's called. It's not what this part of the show is called. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm tired. Tell us, Emily, what, what is this we- part of the <laughs> It's called detox. A detox question. I was like, icebreaker. That makes sense because drinks have Plus ice. drinking. Yeah, ice. Totally. 
Okay, so this detox question, um, where we detox from the horrible murders that we just listened to, and also detox from all of the alcohol we have consumed that is making me think of crazy words. Mm -hmm. Um, So my question for you, Sarah, is you can still be you, but you have to have the hair and the clothes of either Joe Exotic or Carol Baskin. Oh, my gosh. That's a terrible... Those are terrible options. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say, like, of anyone. I was like, oh, who would I want? But this is a terrible no. question. I mean, I feel like you're damned either way. It's pretty awful either way. But I'd have to say Carol Baskins because at least she's a woman. And... Yeah. Um, like has long blonde hair, which I feel like I could do something with because Joe exotic, that bleach (laughs) and that haircut is gnarly. Also, did you see that he has coronavirus? No. Cause he's in prison and that's like a Petri dish. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Oh no. What about you? Who would you choose? I think I would pick Carol too. Um, yeah, just because I really can't do the hair. And the chokers. Yeah. The the jewelry. I think that maybe if I could keep my hair, I could be convinced to wear those sequin tops that he has. (laughs) You could rock a sequin top. You could do it. I would be so uncomfortable. It would be so itchy. It would be quite itchy. Yes. I, I, I don't pick my clothes based on what they look like. I pick them based on comfort. Sure. If if you don't know me, if you don't know that about me, then you don't know because I'm wearing the same sweatshirt that we always recorded. <laughs> um, so I would be very uncomfortable wearing Joe's clothes. Carol's yeah. at least looks a little bit more comfortable. Although the flower, the flower hairband seems kind of uncomfortable. It would make my forehead itchy. Yeah, it feels like a rash waiting to happen. Yeah. Um. Good timely relevant question uh way to go m also where can the good people find us on the internet the good people can find us on instagram we are lightweight true crime um i made a twitter but we're not really doing anything on there but we're lw true crime um and then gmail you can send us an email at lw true crime at gmail.com send us story ideas send us some detox questions because if you don't, we're going to keep Googling them or asking <laughs> silly ones from Tiger King. So don't forget some to, stuff. to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes. And uh, wash your hands. Stay safe. Yeah. Um, and uh, s- stay away from people until yeah. the time comes. And quarantine yourself. Stay inside. Don't, don't be dumb. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was just getting ready to hit pausing on recording and I almost just hung up on your face on this face. Oh my gosh. That'd be so mean. Uh, We love you. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Like, pretty soon into the last episode, I noticed that when I put 
Smarties in my mouth. You can hear it chewing. <laughs> you can hear me chewing on the thing because there's like a 